and welcome to the Mama Made Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Barron, and today I am joined by Stacey Zimbles. You probably know her on Instagram as Feed Eat Speak, the expert lactation consultant and feeding expert. Now, let me just say before we jump in that this episode is so informative. It is like a weaning workshop in your ear. So if you're just getting started or you're thinking about getting started, this is definitely the episode for you. Feel free to pause it, to jump around, to take notes. It's really that meaty. (laughs) So I hope you guys enjoy. Of course, as always, please do let us know um, by getting in touch with us either um, on Instagram or over email, and we will answer all questions. I hope you guys love this episode as much as I did recording it. Firstly, a huge thank you to today's guest, Stacey Zimbles. She is the brains, the heart, the soul behind Feed, Eat, Speak on Instagram, uh, feeding and speech therapist. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and for that lovely introduction. Um, so first, I just for anybody who doesn't follow you or doesn't know you, um, perhaps you could just give us a bit more about yourself um, and what brought you to start this community that you've built on Instagram, which is now you know, 74,000 parents and counting. Sure. So yeah, I mean, you've you've sort of said my credentials. I've worked for many years in the NHS, supporting parents, families, children, babies with feeding difficulties as a feeding specialist, speech therapist. And then I had my own kids and actually found all the sort of online information about feeding and about sleep, but more about feeding, just super conflicting, uh, really inaccurate, bit of a minefield. And I know that when I was sort of with my friends as well, who just had babies, you know, they didn't initially know what I did for a living and they weren't able to get answers to were really basic. So I just started like messing around and having my own account with my second child and just sharing bits about my journey with him and then making that information sort of factual and evidence-based it sort of took off from there I think in the COVID when the pandemic started I think more so then people were just really struggling to access any face-to-face support particularly around lactation and breastfeeding and I think that's when my account became sort of came into its own because I was able to post regularly and share information that people needed amazing and it's I mean it's just there are no words really for how helpful you are to so many people. Um, As you say, the resources are all over the place. They're often conflicting. And sometimes you just want someone that you really trust to tell you like it is. And so today we're focusing really on weaning and kind of what it is and what it means and, and on different feeding difficulties and things to bear in mind. So we'll be going through really a lot of the basics and then hopefully we can you know tap into a lot of your expertise around when parents should worry or things because I know it's a very worrying time for so many parents so I suppose the first I guess is how do we know kind of when to start with weaning what to look for and what kind of basics to have covered for parents before they really start dipping into it sure so when I do weaning webinars and I talk to families about weaning I sort of sort of start by saying that sort of first off around the six month mark is when your little one um, showing their readiness cues. Now, for some infants, it might be a little bit before six months. And for some, it may be more towards six and a half or a little bit longer. There are lots of myths associated with um, starting solids. So some big ones are sleep uh, hitting the skids. Therefore, they must be hungry. Babies, um, you know, putting lots and lots of things in their mouths, maybe staring at you eating. Um, And none of these things are 
you know, proven or shown to be reliable as weaning readiness cues. The few things that are important and that you should look for is your baby's physical capability, particularly for sitting, holding their head upright. Ideally for uh, finger foods, they should be completely independent at sitting. Whereas for spoon feeding, as long as they can sit upright in a high chair with a bit of support and hold their head upright, they're good to go. The next thing is sort of hand-to-eye coordination and an interest in reaching out, picking up food and lifting and taking it to their mouth. And then finally, um, you could be looking at um, your baby's physical skills around eating. And there's a reflex called the tongue thrust or the tongue protrusion reflex, which is a basically like a sucky motion where they suck and push out their tongue out of their mouth forward and backwards. Now, this doesn't switch off overnight. It gradually diminishes over time. But most babies will start to have this diminish around six months. And what you're going for is that when you give them solids, they swallow more than they push out. So you may notice occasionally they sort of sort of spit, push a little bit out with their tongue. But if the majority of things are going down, if actually you are noticing that they just you put it in, it comes out. If you put it in, they come out. Just stop and wait another week or two because they might just not be ready. So that was my question is because I mean. I'm sure you experience this as well. Like most parents I speak to don't actually wait, let's say, until that six month mark. Most parents say, oh, she was ready. He was ready. I just I just felt right. And is that fine? Or what might I suppose what might be the drawbacks to not waiting until six months? How do you sort of manage that with parents when they say that they felt like their baby was ready, even if they're they're not necessarily just demonstrating these three signs together? It's really difficult because as parents, we are really the experts in our own children. What I hear a lot is parents being told to wean by either well-meaning healthcare professionals, friends and family to sort of often fix something else like growth or worries about or breastfeeding's not brilliant or they, they're not they don't love their bottles or you know and so they get sort of suggest we'll start solids like it's a fix all and so the most common thing I come across is this combination of things where solids are started early before the baby's ready and still also started in a pressure cooker situation with the goal being that if you do the solids it's going to fix something else and those two things together make for a really stressful often feeding experience and weaning experience at the beginning because what you have is a baby that not, might not be ready and if a baby's not ready, they won't be able to eat or interact with food in the same way as a baby that's like, you know, developmentally there. And if they don't, then that makes it harder for the baby and it makes it harder for the parents in terms of their expectations. And then you get the second part, which is I need you to eat because my mother-in-law told me if you eat, then you'll sleep. So actually your cues are saying, I can't do this. But my mother-in-law is saying, make it happen because you're exhausted and go to sleep. And I, I you know, I, I say it jokingly, but but various scenarios like this, you know, they'll grow more um, or, or various other things. And so whether it's just one part or both parts, my experience then is that weaning doesn't get off to the best start for the, either the parents or for the baby. And it's super stressful. That I mean, that really resonates in terms of like just feeling so much pressure from other people around you when it comes, especially when it's your first child. Obviously, everybody has an opinion and, and you have often, I mean, if it's your first child, you don't really know what to do. So you're looking 
looking to other people for advice. We've done some work on Mama Made on boundary setting. And I think really the best way to set boundaries like that is to just arm yourself with this knowledge. So having you today, Stacey, to really talk us through what to look out for, that's the best way to kind of stand up, let's say it's a pushy um, in-laws or parents who who might make you feel like you don't know your baby best or don't know what to do best. And I, you know, if it makes anybody listening feel better if they've been in that situation, I was in that situation and I definitely <laughs> started solids with my daughter before she was ready and before six months because she didn't sleep. She woke up every 45 minutes and I knew, I knew that starting solids would not make it any better, but I did not have anything else in my armory that would and I was hearing these messages multiple times from multiple people and when I say I started early you know it was a week or so before she was six months and she was almost ready and we still had a really positive experience but with my second I did it completely differently and in fact you know everyone was like is he not eating yet and I was like wait another week or two he's fine look at him he likes his milk (laughs) So I almost like uh, went the other way and I was like, okay, I really need to start now. (laughs) (laughs) I think that brings us a really kind of carrying on from that point about parents and maybe outsiders who have an opinion. Um, It brings us to this kind of artificial debate that's come up around weaning of kind of baby led versus purees. Um, Baby led obviously being when you never spoon spoon feed your child, you just go straight um, into finger foods on the tray. Purees being perhaps the more traditional route Um, that our parents and grandparents would have done, presumably because weaning was probably suggested to start a bit younger. In my experience, I've sort of done both with my kids. Um, It's a debate that sort of looms large in a lot of people's minds of what should I do? How do I do it? Or I know I want to do baby led or I know I want to do spoon feeding. Um, How do you sort of explain it to to parents in your weaning workshops? Sure. So, I mean, the way that I um, explain it is that ultimately, you know, it's your choice and you need to pick a method that feels right for you, that sits with how you cook or that sits with how you feed your baby uh, already or just, you know, that you're getting a feeling like, like this works best for me. So for example, if you're worried about gagging and choking, often parents will choose to predominantly spoon feed and then introduce solids when the baby's sort of got a bit more used to it there's no right or wrong way uh they're just different ways and ultimately the end point at sort of one year which is sort of the end of the weaning process should be that your baby can eat a range of uh adult foods that are just chopped to a size that's manageable for them and so the journey the process is sort of not that significant in the scheme of things. There are things we know that that stand babies in good stead for later positive eating habits, but that's not been shown to be whether they're baby-led weaned versus whether they're spoon-fed. As long as you're responsive with how you feed them, i.e. you follow their cues if you are spoon-feeding them, you're mindful of watching if they've had enough and not being driven by the volumes you want them to eat, then it all should come out in the wash and, and you know, you get to the same end point. And bearing in mind also, there is a, a middle ground where you know you can introduce foods on a spoon and also give your baby opportunity to have finger foods that they pick up themselves from a tray and that's not spoon feeding and baby led weaning per se it's a combination of spoon feeding and finger foods baby led weaning is super purist in its approach which is very much that you do not give your baby anything and everything they do is led by them um so for those people that choose to follow that method it's not quite the same as sort of 
finger foods per se. So yeah, that's sort of the difference between them. And, um, you know, if you want me to, I can explain, I guess, some of the positives of both, if that's helpful. Yeah, I think it'd be super helpful. Because I'm just like, something that you've just said, that's really sort of stuck in my mind is that feeding responsively. Um, I know that's something that I learned from your page about breastfeeding. For example, I was put under so much pressure with Liba to put on a schedule that breastfeeding just we never really got on with it. I mean, I did sort of muscle my way through, but it wasn't a positive experience at all. And then having that in the back of my mind for Arthur's breastfeeding journey was a, just made the whole thing a joy. And to have that sort of same frame of mind when it comes to solids, I think is, it takes a lot of the pressure off in a way because you are just sort of responding to what your baby needs rather than trying to get them to fit into something that isn't natural to them or perhaps. But yeah, I mean, for parents who are still sort of weighing up, what should the first sort of action be that they do when they start weaning? Perhaps you could speak through the kind of benefits of the two. Yeah, sure. So we start with spoon feeding. You know, that is probably a more natural progression in some ways from suck feeding to solids, because the first foods we give are foods that can be taken from the spoon using not not dissimilar movements of the tongue forward and backwards. And bearing in mind that you learn to eat from a combination of experience and your body's physical development at certain stages. And so what sort of pure traditional spoon feeding approach does is that it works with your baby. So as your baby is developing new skills, so separation of movement, more lateralization of the tongue, more rotational jaw, you're making the textures more challenging and you're meeting them in the middle. That's how that approach works. And so it can be helpful if for example, your baby is more prone to gagging, if you're worried about choking, if you are wanting them to sort of be eating from day one, you know, you're, you know, there's a reason, for example, that you want them to eat, perhaps you're going back to work quite soon, you're breastfeeding, they don't take a bottle, you'd like them to be established on foods and not still sort of squishing things up in their hands. So those babies tend to eat more sooner. When it comes to baby led weaning, though, we need to remember that, you know, before manufactured baby products and foods and, you know, stage one foods and stage nine months old with lumps and bumps in it, you know, actually, all we had was the pure versions of the food, and we just had to manipulate them in whatever way to make it easy for baby. And so they're more than capable to pick up um, take them to the mouth and you know start to use their emerging oromotor skills to do their best to manage them easier with softer foods um, and I'm very much in you know making sure that they're in uh, presented in a way that they can pick them up with their hands take them to their mouth and manage them once they get there babies that are baby led weaned in a very pure way i.e nothing else and left to it tend to have a slower start because it takes them a while to to figure things out they tend to be on breast milk for for that bit longer before they're really eating more foods but it's still really variable and uh, they tend to have probably more advanced uh earlier more advanced sort of pincer grip or hand to eye coordination but once you start finger foods with a spoon-fed baby then again that all catches up with each other so a lot of it's really down to preference that's a really I think important point for people to bear in mind is like as you say it sort of all comes out in the watch at the end of the day if you're sort of 
remaining calm and persistent and offering variety of foods and, and nurturing along with the texture challenge, then actually every, the goal is the same and the outcome is wow. eventually the same as well. Exactly. And you just mentioned it. So offering a variety and following your baby's lead, regardless of what approach you take um, and being responsive are really the, the, the super important things around weaning. And there's so many different approaches, you know, offering vegetables first, offering baby rice, you know, which, you know, there, it's like a minefield. And I think that the, they're the key things, you know. And role modeling, you know, eating with your baby, offering a variety, yeah, and following their lead. And with the best will in the world, there'll be mums and dads who choose to spoon feed their infants and they won't open their mouth for a spoon and you have to go down the finger food route. So, you know, tell you how they need to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, though, about the kind of baby setting the stage and, and baby setting the, the route. And you're, of course, an expert in feeding difficulties and you see families when perhaps things aren't going as expected. And you've mentioned, of course, the, the commercial baby foods and how they have these labels about stages and they're, they've corresponded to ages. And, and there's a lot of talk about why that's really problematic. When should, let's say, a parent worry that their child isn't self-feeding or if their child isn't comfortable with a lot of texture? Obviously, you've mentioned like continually challenging, but when would you suggest parents actually pick up the phone and call you for a consultation? I mean, it's really difficult because it's quite individual isn't it? I always say to families, and I often do myself out of business, you know, <laughs> if, if your baby's progressing, will be at a slower rate. That's always a great sign. You know, it's when the baby is stuck and therefore you're stuck, that that's a red flag and an alarm bell. If, you know, I think um, we've talked before and you've mentioned your son, Arthur, perhaps sort of taking his own sweet time progressing <laughs> and moving. But, you know, you didn't call for help. And I guess, you know, I, I'll, I'll ask you, what what made you know that it was all all right? Yeah, no, I mean, I've talked about it quite a bit, actually. I think because Liba was actually just so quick to get her head around it. And, you know, my parents still make fun that we went on holiday when she was nine months old and she was basically eating like a whole falafel sandwich. Um, she was totally cool about most textures and so by contrast I saw Arthur who as yeah it just wasn't bothered by it was in no rush which is sort of his nature I mean he was like a full two weeks late to to come earthside um why did I not call anyone I think I saw that as you say he was progressing like he did show his interest it just he couldn't sit for more than five to six minutes in the high chair but when he was in the high chair he was he was happy um he was never sort of but he had his limit <laughs> so yeah. I think it was more like I did see that he was getting it it was just quite slow um and he wasn't refusing the spoon um but he just wasn't taking loads he just wasn't interested in eating it as a meal I mean he was still relying heavily on his milk and it was really we turned a corner where he was really his solids were out pacing the milk probably around 10 months so I guess as you say like I just saw progress so I wasn't too worried about it so I do think that's really important that you're seeing progress and I think the other thing is um you know, understanding what's normal and then when it stops being normal. And there's no exact point like, a, you know, put me in your phone to call at eight months or nine months if. But I, I think it's when it feels for you that it's 
it's coming outside the realms of what you might have expected. So, for example, I see lots of little ones with gagging when they're eating. Now, at six months, if anyone calls me to say their kid's still gagging, I'll suggest that they just crack on and, and, you know, see where they are in a month from now. At seven months, if they're still gagging as much as they were at six months, you could continue to progress, but keep a really close eye on it. And at eight months, if they're still gagging the same as six months, then you probably need to go and see somebody. Whereas actually, if that gagging has reduced and they're progressing and you feel like you've managed to move them from one texture to another, then perhaps you don't. Or if you're somewhere in the middle and actually they're gagging, but less, but you can't you know, you still can't give them finger foods or you still can't give them um, thicker purees at eight months, then again, it's worth going and speaking to your GP, uh, seeing if they can refer you to a feeding and swallowing specialist speech therapist or looking at private consultation if that's something that you're in a position to do um, to find out what or why they are gagging. And it's usually gagging in the early months that's the first sign of any oromotor or, or a sensory issues in my experience. Like that will probably be the first, the first hurdle. Also see lots of babies that just don't want to eat. Um, that, that, you know, they're happy to go to the table, but they don't eat much. And again, the boundary for that is so individual. You know, I see some families at 10 months when that's going on, but many when the baby's over one you know, and they're still not really eating. So again, it's quite personal. And I guess it should be said that medical professionals and healthcare professionals like yourselves, you probably want to see families when they're worried and turn them away rather than leave something lingering. So I guess that's my opportunity to just jump in and say, if you are worried about it, why not seek help? Yeah. Um, there's so many amazing free resources um, through your GP or health visitor to at least get an initial consultation. Going back to that concept of feeding responsibly and, and watching the progress, a lot of questions that we get are around kind of how much or portion sizes. So what is your view on that? Is there a concern around how much a baby should be eating or when do we start worrying about portion sizes? So never really, as long as the baby's growing, honestly, you know, that's, you know, I, you know, I've got, this sounds mad. I've got a lovely lady who's just started um, helping me after school. And for the first time yesterday, I'd asked her to give the kids some food and it was pizza actually. And, um, she came uh, She came to find me, I was working, and she came to find me to say, for my son Gaby, when should I stop him? Like, how much, <laughs> how much can he eat? And I was like, oh, he'll eat a whole adult pizza. And she was like, is that okay? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, and it's really interesting, like, how different people come at things from different perspectives. And so it's fine if they want to eat a whole adult pizza at the age of four. And the same kid, you know, the, the day before, I'd made meatballs, mashed potato, he had some red cabbage, he had uh, some kale on his plate. And effectively, he ate like two meatballs and didn't touch anything else on the plate. And the same kid was done, you know, he had a banana for dessert. And that's what he had for dinner the night before. Now, he's a healthy child and he's learned from day one that, you know, no one's going to make you eat any more than you want to eat. And that's the key thing when it comes to weaning. So there aren't any portion sizes for weaning children. And actually, my colleague uh, on Instagram, SR Nutrition, has got a really great post on this. She's It's a it's an image of a plate and it says what a nine-month-old eats. And it's got four different pictures of the same meal. 
meal with like different amounts of food on it, just to illustrate that at nine months, you know, four different babies could eat four completely different volumes. And it's also important to think about, you know, their intake over the day and how the milk is impacting on what they're eating. So again, when it comes to portion sizes, it's really, you know, are they eating something? Are they eating a variety? Have they got a balanced plate of food? Is it nutritious? You know, rather than how much they eat. And when you're spoon feeding them, it's just also learning their cues. So you spoke about Arthur, you know, being done in his high chair, five, six minutes. And the best thing you did was to be responsive to that. And now he's older and he'll sit longer and he'll eat more, right? So it's not worth the battles because they figure it out. Or sometimes you need to give them a nudge if, you know, the milk's play, if they're on formula and the milk's, you know, playing a bit too much of a part as they get much older. But yeah, just follow their lead. I definitely have found that when I started introducing solids to Liba, it was like, oh my gosh, I can correct my own relationship with food. Like all the things that I had learned about, you know, I definitely grew up in a household where we had to finish our plates. We were put, so much pressure was put on us to, to eat what was put in front of us. I remember absolute battles between like my sister and my parents over, over what she was eating. And I think it's quite liberating actually to remind ourselves that it's actually better for the babies just to feed them responsibly. Again, I know I said that earlier on in this episode about the milk feeds and it definitely follows on for solids is kind of eliminating that pressure makes it so much more positive for everybody. Um, and it, knowing that it's sort of building a healthier relationship as well, only a good thing. Absolutely. And actually I would say that for, for some of the, the clients that I see, a lot of the challenges are around parental expectations, uh, either with portion sizes or, you know, I did a story the other day about the leftover porridge in my kids' bowls. So, you know, you could look at this in two completely different ways. You could either say, gosh, they mustn't have eaten much breakfast at all. Or you could look at it to say, actually, if you'd have known how full the bowl was and how completely huge the portion sizes, my husband's served up, that actually they'd both eaten enough. But actually, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much they ate because they were done when they were done. So the parental expectations, and then often we're driven by our expectations, which stop us being as responsive as we might like to be, and therefore creates a much more stressful environment. Often for us, the babies are sometimes nonplussed by it, but it's us just like, oh, they haven't eaten enough. Should I give them another snack? Will they have their nap? Okay, then maybe they haven't had that. Then they're not going to have their nap because they didn't eat so much. I'll give them some extra milk. So you give them some extra milk, and then they don't eat at lunchtime. You know, and you get into like spirals don't you of like but if you'd have just gone okay at breakfast <laughs> been okay with saying okay and then just like let the day pan out they'd have probably had a bigger lunch so I think we're sometimes guilty of like sabotaging ourselves overthinking a bit a hundred percent no completely it's definitely like I've had so many times where I've had to check myself and be like but she's full why am I making a big fuss over how much she ate as you say yeah you can look at that the plate of leftovers in several ways and challenge my own kind of hookups or hang-ups hang-ups about um <laughs> about how we feed I've just been nodding along ferociously um and then in terms of parent expectations we definitely hear a lot you know parents want their kids to eat really healthy they want them to love all of their veg and all of their healthy foods and so people do get quite hung up or worried about what should the first food be um and we've talked a bit in this episode already about it's about variety it's about persistence it's about regularly exposing but 
what foods do you typically suggest or what first foods did your kids have? Sure. Yeah. I think both of mine started with avocado, um, I think as a finger food, and banana. So I definitely didn't do the sort of um, every day a veggie sort of for the beginning. I did mostly, I mean, I did baby led weaning with Gaby. Um, with Anna L, I did, um, I did some spoon feeding. But I wasn't sort of that hung up with either of them about like not having a spoon my husband is French he was like what is this nonsense here give him here eat this child you know <laughs> so you know we have to work with you know what we've got in our home and you know like I said I you know I'm quite relaxed um so yeah it was avocado I think um and uh, banana there is some research that suggests that if you expose um to vegetables first it, it can help develop their preferences for vegetables particularly the bitter ones you know that is also linked with continued exposure but i also i'm super pragmatic and, and one of the things that like i don't want parents to do is feel super pressured about having to give vegetables only or um you know because and I've heard you know sad you know I've heard parents say well my kid's really fussy it's because I didn't do baby led weaning or my kid's really fussy it's because I didn't do vegetables every day for two weeks and it's important to recognize that a fussy eating is a super common phenomenon for lots of, of babies and b that there's other factors that pay a part in it like genetics like parenting as well as things like early exposure and it's not that if you give vegetables regularly early on they won't be fussy eaters it's just that it is associated with with more acceptance of vegetables but you also need to continue to give them and I know for me and both my kids are a bit fussy um or you know quite fussy and vegetables are not their favorite foods I went back to work at 12 months and I really like dialed down on the vegetables and it's bitten me in the bum twice because you know just giving them less or you know defaulting to similar same foods because it was easier and those things contribute so I, I guess what I want the message to be for parents is again you know this is what we know. Choose what works for you. Variety is super important. But first foods, yeah, if you want to give vegetables every day, it, you know, it may help with their acceptance longer term. But that still needs to be continued. Um, and there are so many factors at play. I think there's a lot of pressure and lots of messages saying this way is the right way. And I, I don't know. I think we have to be pragmatic. No, I completely agree. Like, I... I didn't start either of my children on kale or spinach, but they are foods that they will accept sometimes, yeah. not every time, sometimes, <laughs> but it depends on their mood. It depends on what the dish is. It depends, you know, on, on, on what they've eaten otherwise in the day. Um, sure. And I think it's just bearing in mind that these are still humans, you know, they've got hungrier days, they've got less hungrier days and they're their own people with their own makeup. So just feeding them kale and spinach for the first two weeks isn't going to turn them into a child that doesn't want sugar when they're three or four. Sure. Um, <laughs> My daughter ate avocado a lot, broccoli a lot as an infant and they're two foods that she really won't entertain now. And she didn't eat kale and spinach as an infant, but we eat them quite a lot at home now and she will eat them sometimes. So it's like you say, you can't sort of pinpoint these things exactly. But overall, when it comes to veggies, the message is, you know, um, early introduction, lots of repetition may mean that they are more accepting, you know, 
of Ratchie's long term. And I guess it's, yeah, it's like that repeated exposure. It's not giving up on that first time when they see a piece of avocado and perhaps they just pick it up and throw it. It's about continually reintroducing that food. Yeah, um, and being a stable part of what you're exposing them to through toddlerhood. Thank you. Um, and then just a bit about any foods to avoid, um, things to look out for when it comes to labels, um, anything along that line that you like just as a parent also, not just a feeding expert, but um, how you like to look at labels and, and things like that. Sure. So, I mean, I have to say that as a parent in my kids' first year, mostly I was making food from scratch. And then I was being like, oh, I mean, we didn't have uh, Mama Made then. <laughs> um, and then, although I love your pancakes, by the way. <laughs> just as an adult I know I think the texture is amazing I've had a little play with them um the texture is amazing for, for first uh self-feeding foods anyway that's an aside I'm a bit of a fan. I you know but it's being mindful of things like bread and cheese which have got things like salt in them and I you know again not getting super hung up on it if you're giving you know, predominantly home cooked foods, you know, but being aware that they're both foods safe, for example, that have got added salt content. So, you know, be mindful that you don't give both of those foods every day, three times a day, because it will add up. Um, and then obviously, the NHS website has got guidance on foods that we should avoid in weaning. So yeah, we talked about salt, certain fishes, uh, shellfish, um, honey, etc. So be aware of what they are, you can find it online. And then the other things really, are, are, for me anyway, are choking risks. So foods that could increase the risk of your child choking. So that might be like hard nuts, um, round or oval shaped foods like cherry tomatoes, blueberries, that are and grapes that are whole and knowing how to either well knowing to avoid them or how to provide them in a different way so ground nuts nut butters puffs the some puff snacks with peanuts in for example and then um you know cutting lengthways um long sort of um round foods cutting them lengthways uh, and again there's lots of information out there about how to do that so that's sort of my overall take on avoidance that's so helpful Stacey thank you I think my takeaway from this chat is really just there's a lot of exploration that's required there's a lot of patience from the parent it's really about responding to the baby and at the end of the day there is sort of no right or wrong it's kind of there's guidelines in place but ultimately no baby is going to be the same um, even two babies in the same family I think that that's really helpful to sort of take any pressure off of parents there's really no right or wrong way within reason I guess yeah, within reason, absolutely. I think that's it. And in the minefield of you should do this, baby led wean and vegetables first and fruits first and pouches are bad. And, you know, in all of this stuff, it's just sort of working out what fits your family, what fits your lifestyle and knowing like what your sort of when it comes to say food choices, for example, what your healthiest options are. And then and then taking a really pragmatic view that fits with you and putting your baby center in that. A great note to end on. Thank you, Stacey. I really appreciate um, you joining us today, uh, teaching us all about the basics of weaning and thoughts. Um, for anybody who doesn't follow Stacey at Feed Eat Speak, her platform is just an amazing wealth of resources. I can say firsthand, it made 
my second time around breastfeeding, I was so much more confident. Um, it was such a positive experience. Thanks to everything I learned from Stacey. Um, and you, you run webinars and more focused workshops as well for people who are looking for more detail on any topic. Thank you so much again. Um, yeah, I just really appreciate you spending a bit of your day with us. So thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you guys agree that was a lot and it's so helpful. Usually Stacy charges for her weaning workshop. So you guys got to save this down and share it. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back with even more episodes, more advice, more guests. It's going to be a lot of fun. So send us all your questions, share all your weaning wins. Follow us at Hello Mama Made. You can follow me at Sophie M. Barron. And of course, you can follow Stacy if you're not already at Feed Eat Speak. Just remember that we're always here with you throughout this journey to share the load and share the love.